For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, visit a naturalization ceremony that welcomes 46 new Americans. Meet jazz artist Natalie Douglas and hear about her favorite singers and songs. And Dimelo features a live unscripted story about how a local man figured out where he belonged thanks to a cemetery. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. We live in a nation founded by immigrants. Each year, close to one million people take an oath of allegiance to the United States at naturalization ceremonies across the country. This Independence Day weekend, we revisit a story by Mitchell Riley, who witnessed a ceremony at the DeConcini Federal Courthouse in Tucson, where 46 people became new Americans. All rise for this naturalization ceremony held on Friday, June 19, 2015. The Honorable Judge Frank R. Zapata presiding. Good morning. Thank you. Please be seated. My name is Frank Zapata. I'm a senior United States District Judge, and I have the honor of presiding over this naturalization ceremony. I wish to welcome all of you, and I want to congratulate all of the candidates who have worked so hard to reach this momentous day. The courtroom is packed. Nearly 100 people have gathered to witness this important occasion, parents, siblings, and grandparents among them. I also wish to congratulate and thank the friends and relatives who have supported these candidates in their quest for citizenship. Without your help, they probably wouldn't be here today. 46 candidates from 17 countries are here to become Americans. Today is the last day you will answer the call as a citizen of your former country. From now on, you will answer the call as citizens of the United States of America. I'll call the names out of each countries, and as it's called, please stand so we can acknowledge you. First, we honor the candidate or candidates from Sudan. The Philippines. Israel, we have people that have come out of Sudan, uh, other places where they leave their country and go into these refugee camps. And basically their life is hopeless in these refugee camps. It's a place where there's not enough food, there's not enough shelter, uh, there's no medical treatment, there's violence. And we also have people who have made treks across the desert and then legalized themselves here and now are becoming citizens. Uh, there's no end to the stories of, of how people got here. And, and every one is more amazing than the last. And Mexico. Thank you. Thank you. With all the joy around this occasion, the realities of today's world are not lost on Judge Zapata. We don't want criminals coming into the country. Uh, that doesn't better your society. Uh, we don't want people who are coming into the country to harm us. So there needs to be a process where these people are weeded out, but not a process that denies everybody entry because a vast majority of them are coming here to seek a better life for themselves and for their family 
and in doing that, creating a better life for all of the people in the United States. To those folks who say it's time to close the door and stop the flow of immigrants, Judge Zapata responds. It is our country because we're here now. We were and are a country of immigrants, unless you happen to be Native American and, and you were here before, before everybody else got here. But there has been wave after wave of immigrants into this country, and every immigrant group that comes in, they come here to better their life. Almost everybody can look back in their family and see someone, someone came from Italy, from France, from Spain, from Mexico, from England, from Ireland, any country you can mention. And in your background, there is that immigrant that came here for a very specific reason, and that was to better themselves. And for these immigrants, Zapata has this message. The moment they take their oath, they're equal to every other citizen in this country, regardless of when that citizen came here. And this is that moment. At this time, the clerk, Ms. Melissa Guzman, will now administer the oath of allegiance. All persons who are taking this oath, please rise and raise your right hand and repeat after me the oath of allegiance. I, Nina, I, 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 The, the main thing that I stress is, number one, to educate yourself, to continue to learn English, because it's, it's a language of education, of business, of government, everything that they're going to encounter. I also stress becoming part of what is America. We do have a culture in America. Become part of that. Don't give up your culture from the country you came from, because that's important, too. That makes up this whole quilt that we are in America. Don't give up your language. Don't give up your religion. But become an American. Get into America. And then, of course, the most important, register to vote. If you don't vote, you have no voice in this country. You know, and I tell them, hey, America is a great country. But now it's up to you and to me to keep it a great country. So help me, God. After the oath, new citizen Georgina Lopito leads everyone in the courtroom as they pledge allegiance to the flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God. 52-year-old Georgina is from the Philippines. Today, her name carries a special meaning. Thank you. you may be seated. My mom's give me my name because I was born on February 22nd, it's uh, George Washington's birthday. Named after the man often referred to as the father of his country, Georgina is grateful for this day. I would like to thank, first of all, God and my family and my husband's family, and I'm glad that we are here in America too. I'm the last one. Now they are teasing me that I'm American girl now. Ladies and gentlemen, my fellow citizens, I welcome you to America, and I thank you for coming here. Since the birth of our nation, it has been a country of immigrants. In my case, my father was an immigrant to this country from Mexico. My mother and her family were actually born here in the United States in Arizona before Arizona was a state. 
After sharing a bit of his own story, Judge Zapata calls on his fellow citizens and their families to share their thoughts about today and what it means to them. Becoming a citizen is like being born. You're not going to be born again, and you're not going to become a citizen again. Today is the one and only day. And if you have something that you'd like to share with us, there's a microphone. Come up and share your stories with us. Good morning. My name is Tayana. I'm from Brazil. And it's an honor to be here, to become a citizen of this beautiful country. I want to thank you, my husband, for his support and all my family that came from Brazil uh, to witness this moment with me. Thank you very much. My name is Eduardo Casas from Mexico. I born in Oles, Sonora, and I'm very happy. Thank you, thank you, my, my wife, my son, my teacher, the English, my friend, Clark. Congratulations. Congratulations, everybody. I'm so happy to be here. After many years of procrastination, I'm finally here. And I'm thankful, very, very thankful to God for that. And I also want to thank my family, my husband, my children, my granny. Thank you guys for being here and for supporting me. I love you guys. Thank you. Hello, my name is Camila, and I'm here to um, congratulate my, my grandpa, Luis Cancio, and I just wanted to just say that I love him very much. Thank you. I came out here as a young kid to, the, to this country across the border, Mexico. I've been here for 30 years. And now I became a U.S. citizen to, to have a better job and to help my family. I have my wife here, my daughter, and my little niece that just surprised me. I didn't think she was going to speak. And I want to say thank you and congratulations to everybody. For Arizona Spotlight, I'm Mitchell Riley. That was a radio adaptation of a story produced for Arizona Illustrated. You can see the story you just heard online at azpm.org. Out of the tree of life, I just picked me a plum. You came along and everything started to hum. Natalie Douglas is proud to be a part of the current generation of cabaret singers. It's a musical tradition that thrives on artists forming an intimate connection with their audience, while showcasing some of the greatest tunes in the American songbook. In Natalie's case, she likes to shake things up by adding her favorite country, pop, and R&B songs to the mix, while sharing stories about her musical heroes, including Billie Holiday, Nina Simone, and Lena Horne. Next week, Natalie Douglas will bring a taste of New York's famous cabaret scene to Tucson when she headlines two concerts as part of the annual Sizzling Summer Sound Series presented by the Invisible Theater. Natalie, I'd like you to paint a picture for us of the feelings you feel and where your mind is at in those precious moments right before you take the stage. 
it varies because uh, the places are different and the, the stages are different. Usually there's a moment when you're about to hear someone say your name and that's your cue to get out there. Um, uh, and right before that, you're backstage with the other musicians, you know, and there's this great kind of here we go moment that I, that I truly love. It feels like this is what it's all about. Uh, Anne Hampton Calloway certainly said it. She's not the only uh, great musician to have said it. But, you know, that, that when, when it comes to music and gigs, you pay us to travel. We sing for free. Um, that no matter what you've been through to get there, um, and no matter what the weather challenges are or the airport challenges or, or anything like that, this is why we're here. This is the moment. And I always get excited slash nervous, but it's a good kind of, like, I, I want to feel that way. It's not what I would call a stage, right? And I feel excited. There's something about this moment by virtue of it being a live performance and every bit of live performance being ephemeral that is about to happen and won't ever happen exactly like that again, you know? And um, I always ask the ancestors to help me out a little bit. <laughs> because, well, that doesn't hurt, um, does it? Yeah, you never know what's going to happen once you get out there. Would you say that performing comes easily to you? Yes and no. Um, yes, in the sense that I don't remember a time I didn't do it. I was an only child of two um devoted and older parents when they adopted me and they had very active social lives my mother was uh getting her phd when i was a little kid so she was on uh, college campuses and they had friends of many ages and my parents were very involved in the los angeles political scene my godfather was the mayor for 20 years there were always lots of activities in our house and they always made me a part of it. You know, it wasn't something that adults did and I was in my room by myself playing or, or reading or whatever. Um, I had those times, but if I wanted to sit with them while they were talking politics, then I would sit there. And at a very young age, they'd ask me questions. And, and if I had an opinion, I had to defend it. Um, um, no, in that I have taken circuitous routes to get there. Um, I never studied voice. Uh, I studied piano and harp as a little kid. Hmm. Um, well, when did it become clear, though, that you had this great instrument inside you? God, thank you. I, well, I started singing when I was four, so I've yeah. been singing my whole life. Um, <laughs> now, when you say you started singing at four, I think I was singing Mary Had a Little Lamb and Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. <laughs> What were you singing it for? I was singing You'll Never Know. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first song. I was, as you can imagine, a rather talkative child. And, <laughs> no. and I had lots of questions. And my mother was trying to get dinner done. And she hit upon the notion that she could teach me a song, send me off to my room to practice it. And then, um, you know, I could come back if I ate all my vegetables, you know, after dinner, I could perform for mom and dad. I could do the number, you know. And um, I have no idea why exactly I had some sense of what that was, but I did. I, I guess, you know, watching old movies or something. And I kept practicing the lyric and learning it. And I made up an outro, which, I, again, I have no idea how that happened. I don't know where that came from. Um, and they were delighted. I don't think they said oh my God, she's a, you know, look, musical genius, or, you know, but, but they were happy. I, they patted me on the head. And, 
Um, so I always did it, and I loved it. Natalie, can you pick a song from your latest recording and give us an introduction to it? If you were on the radio station at midnight and you were going to play this for the audience, what would you say? Ah, uh, okay. Coming up is the title song from my new CD, Human Heart. And uh, the title song is from an Aaron's and Flaherty musical to show to, um, Once on this Island. And I heard it first when I saw the show. It's a song that touches me, and I think it might touch you too. If anybody out there is feeling alone or isolated, uh, I want you to know that you're part of something bigger, even if you don't think you are. And that's what this song says to me. The courage of a dreamer The innocence of And the foolishness that lead us to the truth, the hopes that make us happy. Let's talk about one song that's in your repertoire that I think has a very interesting vibe to it. Um, it's called Small Day Tomorrow. Yeah, and one of yeah. the writers was Bob DeRoe, who's known for his sense of humor and his kind of wry take on life. But Small mm-hmm. Day Tomorrow describes a very particular state of mind to me when a person feels like they really don't have anything to lose. Mm-hmm. That can be good or bad. What's your, t- <laughs> yeah. what's your take on that song, though? The first time I heard that song, I instantly thought, because I was already uh, working as a singer and a, and a musician and a you know, struggling actor and all that. And I instantly thought, oh, oh my God, somebody wrote down what we feel like. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> brilliant. Um, I have always loved a song that could make me feel two things at once. The, the, the very uh, sort of concept you're describing that had nothing to lose, you know, small day tomorrow might mean wonderful things about tonight. Um, might mean really bad decisions about tonight. You know, yeah. I mean, the, it, it sounds can... it sounds like a woman on the brink of making either the best decisions of her life or the worst. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I've always loved that. I mean, I think that's one of the things about that makes a standard, um, whatever era in which it was written. I, I think the ability to to find something really human and a question in it. You know, is this the romance of your lifetime or is this yet another bad dude you know like <laughs> and there's so many songs that that feel like they're on the precipice of something I don't have to go to bed I've got a small day tomorrow a small day tomorrow I don't So we started this interview by talking about those precious few moments before you began to sing. Mm-hmm. 
let's end it by telling us what are you going to take off that stage with you, though? What's going to come home with you in your heart after a, a performance that you consider to be a good one? A feeling of profound joy, an almost sacred feeling. And I walk off that stage feeling connected to those people, feeling like I know them a little bit and they know me a little bit. And we're all better for it. With all the sheep on a child tonight's the night. There's a car I can borrow till the day after tomorrow. We can swing till broad daylight. The latest album by Natalie Douglas is Human Heart. She'll bring her blend of sizzle and sass to the Skyline Country Club for two shows, July 9th and 10th. The shows help kick off three weeks of cabaret jazz performances at the Skyline, presented by the Invisible Theater. There's a link for more information on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. The storytelling project Dimelo recently hosted its first open mic story slam, all the stories were unscripted and contributed on the spot by members of the audience. Here is Sofia Polizica, the producer of Dimelo Stories. The back patio of St. Charles Tavern was packed. The temperature was dropping and the sun was descending as the show got started. Comedian Polly Casillas warmed up the crowd. I need to, like, I want to be rich this year. Like, I just want to be debt-free, bills paid. That's all I want. Like, if my wife were to be like, Polly, what do you want from me sexually to do to you that would get you off? I would look at her and I'd be like, baby, I just want you and another woman to lend me 10 grand. <laughs> just to put a debt. That would be so hot. Be, I just want to be the kind of rich to where I'm not afraid to answer a phone call from a number I don't know. I just need that in my life maybe become a sustaining member to NPR. He <laughs> had a cool tote bag. Ten storytellers were chosen at random, each to tell a five-minute story. The theme of the night was belonging. Here's one story on that theme, from Marcelino Flores. Hi. My name is Marcelino Flores. I'm a member of the Pascuayaki tribe. And I uh, wanted to share with you the story of when I first uh, came back to work for the community. I graduated from the University of Arizona, a first-generation college graduate attendee, first high school attendee, you know, and the like. Uh, and so I came back to work for the tribe. Uh, I was um, given an opportunity to kind of prove myself, to show myself. It's like, okay, you college person, you're going to apply yourself uh, because I have a regional development planning background. Uh, they put me to work uh, on the cemetery. And I said, okay, we, we have this problem here. You know, we, we have people that want to be buried next to their loved ones, next to their, their families, and they're kind of, you know, running over each other's graves to get to where they're at. 
So we need some, some, uh, some help here, some coordination, a cemetery plan. So the very Western approach that I took, what I had learned is I did a, a scope of work. I did a request for proposal, nationwide search. And I brought the best cemetery planner that money could buy. And we went through this process of, you know, going, having cafecitos, and, and they did architectural renderings. And, and, they, um, and so, you know, we had this, this presentation of our cemetery plan for the first time to the community. And so we bring out the billboards, the architectural renderings, and, and I'm presenting to my elders. And um, so I show them, and they're looking at, okay, well, what's this area? Oh, well, you know, this is where we're going to bury uh, our young people because our young people have got a very special place. They're closer to heaven than many of us are. And so they have their own space. And I was like, okay, yeah, we see that. We, we, we like that. Uh, and then we have also a veteran section because, you know, Native Americans per capita have a high number of veterans. So we have our veteran sections and, and oh, wow, that's really nice. I like that, you know, the, the little memorials that are being designed and planned. That's wonderful. Uh, and, and then they were looking at this other part and they said, well, well, what's this area right here? Oh, well, well that's an urn garden. Oh, okay. The elders kind of scratched their head. Okay. Uh, okay. What, what's an urn? Um, an urn, the, the cemetery planner was, was describing, an urn is where you keep the ashes. Uh, okay. The elders were looking at each other like, the ashes of what? <laughs> I was like, and so in, in that instance, in that moment, you know, our, our elders were just in an uproar because like, who the hell burns people? Uh, so, um, and, and so this uh, went back to the drawing board and, and my, my architectural rendering. And, and I got to say that since then, I've, I've been trying to balance that, that, that part. You know, I, I've had a chance to do something that maybe many of you don't want to do. And that is uh, repatriate remains, you know. Uh, Native American remains are found, and, and I had the opportunity to do a, a ceremonial process and, and really just uh, be part of the community as, as we laid those, uh, those remains back to rest. So with that, um, that, that was my experience uh, proving I fit in. Thank you to all the storytellers who bravely took the stage that night. Thanks as well to the St. Charles Tavern and reporter Tony Paniagua for hosting. You can hear more excerpts from the show or see pictures online at www.demilostories.org. Demelo is a community-driven storytelling project. Go to demelostories.org or drop a postcard into one of the special mailboxes in Tucson to add your voice. Demelo is part of a national initiative called Finding America, presented in collaboration with AIR, the Association for Independence and Radio, supported in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Some music was performed by Siksa. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. You can also find our podcasts on iTunes. This show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios, our music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood, with assistance from Isaac Rodriguez. Our executive producer is Peter Michaels. I'm producer and host, Mark McLemore.